Very few people like their backup system, so they're often thinking about making a change. When does it make sense to do that, and what's the best way to do it? Today we answer these questions, and we make sure you understand the risks of changing your backup system, along with the rewards. Hi, I'm W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I've been where you are. I've been stuck with backup software I hated and wanted so badly to change, so I know how it feels. On each episode of this show, we dive deep on one topic helpful to you and your backups, and this week it's about change. We turn unappreciated backup admins into cyber recovery heroes. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Welcome to the Backup Wrap-Up. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, and I have with me my personal interface into the SpongeBob <laughs> world, Persona Maliandi. How's it going, Persona? I'm good, Curtis. Yeah, it's SpongeBob, amazing show. So growing up, I didn't have access to SpongeBob because I'm a little older than SpongeBob, but I remember I was uh, probably in college, and I went to a good friend's house and his six-year-old nephew was there and that's the first time i saw spongebob squarepants and ever since then i'm addicted so i do watch it even to this day i may or may not have spongebob squarepants socks that i wear also <laughs> <laughs> and i have like zero connection to the spongebob <laughs> world again you know if you're too old for it i'm way too old for it it was just a few days ago that I found out that the phrase a few moments later uh, <laughs> is from SpongeBob. Yep. I didn't know that. <laughs> Great show. So I think you should start watching it. Really? Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. In the midst of all of the other things I got going on. I'm it's a great background it. show to watch. Oh, is it a background show? Yeah. All right. And uh, they have the I first like six seasons on Amazon Prime for free. So. How can I resist it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never actually watched an entire episode. I, maybe I'll watch an episode or two. Yeah. And then uh, we'll see how. Well, it is time for us to get into the backup news or the, you know, the news of, of our world. Uh, do we want to start? I, I think we should start with yours. Okay. Uh, our news from the AWS storage day back, uh, looks like about. Almost go ahead. So this recently came out. Um, it is AWS trying to help with ransomware attacks. Um, for folks who don't know, AWS offers a service called AWS Backup, which allows you to protect and manage some of your AWS resources like EBS volumes, EC2 instances, and others. And so what they've recently done, previous to this re new release, what they had was the ability to sort of create a vault is what they called it, where you kind of squirrel away your backups. It would be stored there. It would be protected. So they had like retention settings. It could be supported using the immutable feature, object lock capability of AWS, and basically prevent backups from being deleted. But this was all within the customer's account. And it was either AWS managed keys or customer managed keys. And so that was great. 
but someone could potentially still get into the system, start deleting backups. It's not completely foolproof. And I know, Curtis, we've talked in past episodes, just actually just recently about air gapping and what air gaps mean and virtual air gaps. Right. And so now what AWS has offered is, let me make sure I got the words right, a logically air-gapped vault. <laughs> That's a mouthful. By the way, I'm I'm fine with that term. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that they use that term, right, to put the logically yep. um, in front of it. Yeah. And what it is is it is a more locked-down vault where, unlike before, uh, where the customer was managing the keys or using AWS managed keys. These are keys that are actually owned by AWS. You can't delete the keys, which means if you can't delete the keys, then you can't prevent access to the data. Um, and once again, they also have the ability to set retention that says, okay, make sure that the minimum, anything between like this retention and this retention, don't allow anything to be deleted. And once you set these policies, you can't actually go back and change it. So it's a good thing because it prevents people from like malicious actors from going and changing the settings and sort of changing your retention policy down to one day and boom, all your backups are gone. (laughs) Right. Which is, yeah. And it it looks like um, it looks like it's designed to be used cross account. So one of the things we've talked about in the past is to create an account that holds the backups for everything. And that's what it looks like this is designed for because also it talks about offering direct cross-account restore, Yeah. Um, which, again, I'm not exactly sure because what how that would manifest itself. Be- but Because I think today, in order to do your restores, you kind of have to copy it back into the account first before you can start mm-hmm. accessing okay. it. And so they've, I okay. think, integrated with AWS Resource Account Access Manager to allow yep. instant access to those copies without having to first copy it across. Which is cool yeah. because I think so that's, that's another piece that a lot of people forget. Right, right. Yeah, so it, I, I think this is, you know, again, it's another step in the right direction. I like the idea of having the, I do wonder, and I would like to know, does having it encry- encrypted with mm-hmm. AWS owned keys you know what I'm asking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Does that mean that AWS can read my backups? That is a big thing. I'm sure a lot of enterprise customers would be concerned about um, is how do you prevent AWS or someone who has access to the AWS infrastructure that that data is secure? Um, right. In my mind, I think customers today could almost hand roll this solution on their own by using a third-party key management service with the current AWS backup where they're kind of using customer managed keys, but they're using a third-party service for that. Uh, And so AWS in AWS fashion is like, hey, we see this as a customer pain point. Let's build something in natively to simplify things for customers. So kudos to AWS. Yeah, kudos to AWS. Uh, Although I do want to ask that question. Oh, by the way, this is in preview. Right. So it's, it hasn't oh, been. Yes, it is in preview. Yeah. So it hasn't been GA'd yet, but it should probably be coming out soon ish, is my guess. So the next is another completely different solution, but aimed at the same problem. A lot of companies are worrying about this, the, the concern of, of backups being attacked or whatever. And one of the things that we have consistently said 
is that one of the things that you want to do is to make sure that you have a different, you know, a separate authentication and authorization system for your backup and DR data, which which would mean that if you're an on-prem system and you're backing up to the cloud, that you would, uh, that if Active Directory, for example, was hacked, it wouldn't be able to attack your backups. And that is, by the way, no one does this yeah. <laughs> from what I can see, right? One of the most oft-requested features that I remember back uh, when when I worked at Druva was, you know, Active Directory integration. It's like, but, but it's not a good idea, right? Um, so... The um, anyway, so this is taking. It's not the opposite approach, but it kind of is. So this is from Cloud Cloud Casa, um, which I guess is like a, a house for your cloud. I guess <laughs> is what they're going for there. So it's from Catalogic, yeah. the, the the company, and it's specifically designed for Kubernetes. Uh, it's a Kubernetes backup uh, system, and what they're now allowing is for you to do self-hosted uh, versions of this. Of the software, and they're specifically billing it in that. Let's say you're running in the cloud and you want to get an air-gapped backup of that. The only way to do that, in their mind, or one way to do that in their mind, is to put the the backup on-prem. So it kind of follows the logic that we have used i myself i would prefer that the that air gapped back you know that air gap <laughs> i make quotes in the air i would prefer that they are on some sort of right protected storage some sort of you and, know uh and in the case of ahead. cloud casa they do say they support an s3 compatible backend so if that is right. the case then i'm sure that there are mechanisms to provide immutability yeah, I, yeah, I, I would like to see that. But the idea here is that you can run their software now on-prem, separating it from your cloud environment. <clears throat> I guess it's very common to run Kubernetes in the cloud. And so then you run this on-prem and so that you have a backup mm-hmm. in, in a different, um, again, that different auth- authentication and authorization system. But Any thoughts on that? I think the other thing that this could be useful for is for those customers who are running Kubernetes internally, right? It gives them a mechanism to have a completely siloed environment where, because I think a lot of more modern uh, Kubernetes data protection platforms sort of have some sort of SaaS connectivity, if you will, right? Right, And for those people who want complete control and complete isolation, this gives them that mechanism where if they're running something locally in their on-premises infrastructure, they have the ability to protect those in a simplified way without having to require centralized management and other things. Yeah. So it looks like, I guess if you have an on-prem deployment of Kubernetes, you can use the cloud Casa service that already runs in the cloud. But if you have uh, Kubernetes in the cloud and you'd like to protect it on-prem, you can now run the, yep. the self-hosted version on-prem. So Options are just, good. Um, <laughs> options are good. Well, there you go. That is the news of the day. I hope you enjoyed the news. Today, I thought we would focus on basically how do we make sense of everything we just covered? <laughs> we covered a whole bunch of different ways to do backup, right? We covered 
like the traditional full and incremental backup system, which may go to disk, may go to tape, most likely we go to disk, it may go to cloud. We talked about CDP replication near CDP, you know, cloud-based system. I mean, we, we covered a whole bunch. Like, so, just throw so a the dart. Question is, just just throw a dart. So now you're thinking about picking a backup product. How do you do that, right? How do you pick a backup product? Just starting with the basics, I think it is figuring out what are your requirements. What are you trying to solve for? Because if you don't know what those are, it's going to be hard to pick a backup product that meets those expectations. If you don't know where you're going, you probably end up somewhere else. <laughs> um, if you've ever heard that before. Um, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that's a message that we put out pretty consistently here is that the more you can set expectations and document expectations, the more success you will have at meeting those expectations. If you don't set expectations and document expectations, then no matter how good you are, you can't compare them to anything, right? So the same is true of requirements. If your requirement, I mean, when I go back, I go back to the early days back when I picked day. my first commercial backup product. <laughs> when I think back in the day, I remember going to a bunch of backup vendors and I went with what at that time were really basic requirements, but they very quickly knocked out many, if not most of the backup products that were on the market at the time. And so, and so what I remember is, and, and that's a great way to do it. Right. If you have solid requirements that you can dictate, let's say a requirement of you've got to be able to back up Mac OS, that's going to knock out a bunch of vendors. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I, why is that a requirement for you? Well, because we run on Mac OS. Well, and <laughs> right? I think that gets to a key point. It's make sure your requirements are justified and valid because sometimes people are like, oh, I want a Ferrari. Right, but they only have a budget of like a Toyota. So you have to make sure you understand what are the requirements that you really need to hit versus what's your wish list. Yeah, wish list versus requirements, right. So you, you can have, you know, when we talk about requirements, I put them in three categories, right? There is basically showstoppers. You either do or you do not back up Mac OS or whatever it is, whatever that is for you, Oracle. AWS, whatever, whatever that is, you know, for you, that, that list, then there's G we'd really like it. If you could do this, right. Backups by osmosis, that would be really nice. Right. Um, and those aren't going to rule out products. They're going to help you make a choice when you're confront, when you get down to that, like three, that list of three products, all three products meet Bust the have. showstopper requirements, yep. but one of them has 75% of your nice have, nice to haves, right? Um, and then and then there's like a third category of moonshot. These sound <laughs> cool, right? But honestly, you know, we're it's not gonna it's not gonna swing us one way or the other. <laughs> 
I, I can't think of a good example of, of what that might be, but I remember having a, having that category, right? You know, it's, it's sort of like required, important, and I guess the third is technically yeah. the nice and to haves, right? Even for these three categories, Curtis, I think it's important mm-hmm. to also consider it's not just what you need today, but you also want to think about sort of the next three years, right? What those requirements, the must-haves, the nice-to-haves, the moonshots will be. Because yeah, that's a good point. Exactly. It's a good point because you should think about the requirements, not just for today, like you said, but for the future. So if you are aware of an upcoming project where you're going to migrate your entire environment to Azure, maybe Azure Backup might be important to you, right? It's not today, but it will be in a year. So now would be a time to think about it. And and by the way, that's when you can, when you're having that conversation with the backup vendor and you say, hey, we really need this feature within a year. And they go, okay, well, we're coming out with it in two to three months, right? Yeah. And again, get that contractually and all that kind of stuff, right? But the big thing with the needs, is, you know, you, you talked about making sure that they're tied to something. I just want to make sure that we dictate the difference between a requirement and a design, right? So I've used this example before. Uh, I live in San Diego. We have um, Coronado on the other side of of the San Diego Bay. It's not an island. It's technically just a really big peninsula, but so many people call it Coronado Island. And the, there are two ways to get there. One is to go, you drive all the way down to Imperial Beach and then you drive all the way back, right? If you're downtown San Diego, that's a like a 30-mile round trip. Um, the other way is to go over the Coronado Bridge. That's a mile and a half. So what, what does that got to do with requirements? So, so at some point, somebody said, we've got to get a bunch of cars from here over to there in a lot quicker way than driving 30 miles round trip. That's the requirement, Yep. right? Then somebody else said, well, we, you know, we need a bridge. No, you, you need a way to get cars from here to there. That's your requirement. The bridge is the design. Yep. Another, another design would be tunnel. Another design would be ferry. It's like the how. Right? Um, yeah, that's the how. A lot of people... They very quickly get excited about the how and they forget to look at the why. And where this happens a lot, you know, nerds like you and me, we see this presentation. You've likened uh, CDP to TiVo, right? I remember the first time I saw TiVo, the first time you got to pause live TV, that was like the most amazing thing. Right? You you remember that? Oh, right? yeah. The first time you get to pause live, I'm going to go to the bathroom for a minute. Pause live TV, right? Or somebody wants to, you know, my wife wants to say something to me and I can just pause, answer her question, and then go back to the show. That was amazing, right? <laughs> well, the same thing happens when you, you know, when somebody shows you CDP for the first time or, uh, you know, what, whatever, pick your you know, backup by osmosis. The first time you see that, you get excited about that. My point is, do you need that? <laughs> right? You have a requirement to have an RPO and an RTO of X. And CDP could meet it because CD, 
can meet all the way down to zero, but what is what is X for you? Yeah. And, and what are the other ways that you can meet that yeah. requirement? And remember that X may be different for different workloads in your environment as well. So those are other <clears> things you have to think about it. Right, right, exactly. Um, we're going to cover that here in just a minute. That that that's we're going to take a turn there <laughs> and, in a minute. And um, wait, before you get there, since you threw out yeah, some acronyms, yeah. do you want to define RTO and RPO for our listeners? Sure. And then we'll throw on two more acronyms. Yeah. So recovery time objective, recovery point objective, recovery time objective, or RTO is the amount of time that a restore will take, right? Um, well, that it will take to bring the system back to operational readiness, right? So within that, let, let's say we've got a four-hour RTO. Within that four-hour RTO, one hour of that might be dedicated to the actual restore. Three hours might be dedicated to getting the, the hardware back up and running and connecting it back to the rest of the environment, right? Uh, but that's what recovery time objective, recovery point objective is how much data we can lose as measured by time. So one hour, we can lose one hour's worth of data. And then we talk about RTA and RPA, recovery time actual, recovery point actual. So this is the RTO and RPO, that's your objective. That's the thing you're gonna try to meet. Um, and maybe you have to meet RTA and RPA or what the system that you actually have, what, what it's actually capable of doing. Because sometimes right. they don't match. <laughs> Especially if you didn't go through this process on the front end, right? Yeah. Another thing that's very closely related to what I said before is sometimes you don't need to make a change. Sometimes you see something really cool. You're like, oh, that looks like a really cool new backup product. Sometimes the best choice is to do nothing, right? The question is, are you meeting the requirements with what you currently have and slash or could you meet your requirements with what you currently have and perhaps some re slight redesign or replacement of a, of a piece of it, changing the, the backup target that you're using or something like that? Or do you need need to replace it. Is there no way, right, to... But but to we all like new toys, Curtis. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we all like well, new toys. I, I think the other thing people sometimes don't think about going to that point you just mentioned is you could replace the system, but sometimes you have to also take into consideration retraining, retooling, uh thinking about your existing infrastructure, keeping that up and running, migrating all your workloads mm -hmm. over to use the new system. There's a big cost with migrating a backup system that you need to take into consideration if you do decide, okay, I want to swap out my existing system. That is absolutely a reason not to migrate if you don't have to migrate, right? Um, realize that this is your last line of defense and every time you make a change, you introduce instability and risk, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. It's just like everything else in IT. The other, the other thing with backup systems as well is if I look at IT budgets, typically, most of your money is probably going to be spent on the production side of the house or other things, not so much on the backup systems. And so you need to be wise with your dollars. So deciding, hey, I'm going to swap out my existing infrastructure for something completely different, and it's not going to make a huge difference for me, 
that's kind of a waste of money that you could have been using to do something else. Exactly. So once we have a handle on the requirements, it's time to start talking about the the various different ways that we can do this. And I think that nowadays, one of the things that should bubble up to the top from a requirements perspective and, and should really take the lead in this part of the discussion, it, when we start looking at the capabilities of the different products, is the cyber aspect, mm-hmm. right? Because it's no good to have like the fastest backup and recovery system in the world and the one that has the most beautiful UI, et cetera, et cetera, and maybe cost the, the least if that system can be hacked in a ransomware attack. I agree, but I think <laughs> coming. <laughs> no, but 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 yeah. I think that there is various degrees of cyber resiliency. Agreed. And you could also look to figure out like it may not be directly supported by the backup vendor itself, but there might be say storage systems that go alongside with the backup system that offer that capability. Or how you, going back to what you're saying, Curtis, how you design the system might lend itself to cyber resiliency. So I do agree with your requirement that your system needs to have cyber resiliency, but how it goes about may not be one specific vendor providing that solution. You, you may be looking at an overall solution to solve the, to solve the problem, right? And, yeah. and I think that that would be, you could say, well, with this vendor, I need to buy this box and I need to buy that box and I need to buy this OS. And I also need to buy some stuff from Amazon with this vendor. I get all of that in one place. Right. Mm-hmm. Simplicity. Um, so that's part of your discussion. What, what was that? Simplicity. Oh yeah. Simplicity. Simplicity is, is the, it is the, or complexity, I will say is the enemy of security. I I think. Right. Mm -hmm. So yes, while I agree with what you're saying that sometimes you can get the things that you need from multiple pieces, I would also argue if you had two systems that are equivalent in every other way, the one with fewer pieces wins. Oh, I th- agree for okay. sure. Yeah. Um, and so you look at all of the different aspects, things like RTO and RPO, you really, really should look at ease of use ease of configuration, ease of basically daily management, what kind of daily management that you have to have. And you should also be looking at the, again, these security aspects. I think when we look at requirements, I I think perhaps we should just do a whole separate episode of what are the things that I think are table stakes at this point for a backup system. Now you're right. Some of these things may be provided by a second vendor. For example, Mm -hmm. I think that at this point, true, actual, complete immutability is table stakes. The the problem is that there's a whole lot of companies that use the word immutability when it's it's not. (laughs) Like air gap. Yeah, like the term air gap. Yeah. Um, 
And so you, you have to ask specific questions to find out, <clears throat> you know, because <clears throat> you have to ask questions. For example, if I change, you have to ask them. I, I, I'm a little devious. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but. Really? I never expected that. You have to ask the questions in such a way that it makes it sound like you're asking for something good, but you're actually asking for something bad. Let me give you a perfect example. <laughs> Your product offers immutability. What if I change my mind? Is there a way for me to, as the administrator, undo the immutability of a particular set of data? Right. And, and give a reason as to give an example. Uh, let's say we decided we're no longer backing up an entire section of the company. We sold off a company or whatever. And we, you know, we, we'd like to reclaim that storage, but we turned on the immutability flag. Um, is there a way to undo that? The and best they say answer. Yes? Yeah. The best answer is no. Sorry. The worst answer is, oh yeah, you just, you just push the thing. You just push the thing. It's not really immutability. It's just uh, you just you just push the little the super secret button that's over here, right? Yeah. Um, that only we know is there. Somewhere in the <laughs> middle is yes, you can, but we make you jump through ten hoops, um, and we do all sorts of manual, human based, face based verification. Uh, although as I, as I say that, I'm like, I immediately go deep fake. Um, and yep, I, exactly. I wonder, that can't I be wonder, trusted anymore. Yeah. Goodness gracious. What a world we live in. What a world we live in. Um, just wait soon. This podcast will be a deep fake. How do we know this isn't a deep fake? I'm just saying. Yeah, good point. I mean, all you have to do is watch a couple of those videos where, you, you know it's a fake video, but it really doesn't look like a fake video. It's a little freaky. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So how do you – those are, those are your answers. And I think that that is, to me, that's question number one. In this system, if I – so, for example, if you use AWS and Object Lock, the answer is no. Right. Unless. Unless. Unless you delete unless the account. Unless you are using. <laughs> no. So there are two modes of object lock, if I recall. Yeah. One is governance. One is compliance. I can't right. remember which one is more strict. <clears throat> right. But one does allow the admin to change it. The other one does not. Okay. Unless you delete your account. So you should be using whichever one is the, the one that doesn't allow you to delete it. Right. Yeah. And uh, although <clears throat> there there is. There At is least I believe that's the case. Yeah. yeah, there is still that question, and I and I really want to get an answer to this, a, a definitive answer to this question. What happens when I delete my account? Mm. Now I've been told that it doesn't go away right away, and that um, there's a way to recover that account if it's uh, if it has optic lock on. But I haven't, I don't see that in writing, and I haven't, and I certainly haven't uh, tried it. That's what I need to do. I just try it, Curtis. Yeah, just create an just account, create object lock, delete some data or put some data in there and then delete the account and then and then see what happens. Back. Yeah. yeah. So what else? Uh, we, we look at the different um, 
you know, the different areas of functionality for the different areas of your environment. And then to allude to something that you had said earlier, I, I think it's important to talk about the fact that let's talk about basically best of breed versus all in one. So is it better to have one backup system that does everything or three backup systems that do three things really well? That's a question. So assuming that everything is equal, it's better to have the one system that can do everything. However, that's usually not the case. Yeah. And there might be certain workloads that are more optimized and significantly better than that all-in-one solution in some areas. Yeah. In so which this case is what for it, those specific it, cases. And so for those specific workloads, you might decide, okay, everything else I'm going to protect with this all-in-one. And for this one particular specialized use case, I'm going to use this special product. And this is kind of what I wanted to talk about is that the answer should be it's okay to do to you know to to have that specialized workload protected by the specialized product that specializes in that workload right <laughs> if <clears throat> you're unable to meet your requirements with the more general product with the all-in-one. that's really yep. the only time to deviate and this is this is just like when when I talked in the beginning the only time to move off of a backup product is if you can no longer meet your requirements with the current backup product. The only time to deviate from the central design and the central, you know, one sort of product to rule them all is when you can't, um, you can't meet your requirements for one part of your organization with the, you know, the, the one big backup product that you're planning to do everything with. And then suddenly somebody brings in, I don't have a modern equivalent of this, but I'm thinking about back when, you know, back in the day when I was in the data center, we had like nine different types of Unix and we had, we had the top three databases. We had Oracle and Informix and Sybase and, and pretty much any popular flavor of Unix we had in the data center. And then we had an AS400. There was no backup product in the world that backed up Unix and AS400, right? Yep. So we needed a separate backup product for the AS400 because there was ju- there was just literally no other way. That's an example of what I'm yep. talking about. Um, did, can you think of a of a modern equivalent to that? At one of my previous employers, one mm-hmm. of the things that I ran into was when you had very, very, very large databases mm-hmm. running on tier one storage, backing them up was too painful. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about hundreds of terabytes. Right. And so there was a solution developed called Protect Point to allow direct backups of those from the storage array to a data domain system mm-hmm. and intended only for that particular use case, right? But it allowed them to actually get a backup done rather than all of the pain that they were going through or the fact that they weren't able to back up at all to start with. Yeah. I that that's I think that's a good example. I was thinking 
when I was trying to come up with a modern equivalent, um, I was thinking of like, maybe you're not running VMware or Hyper-V or KVM. You're running some other hypervisor, right? I, I know people that work at some of these other hypervisor companies and they're, they're doing just mm -hmm. fine. They're doing, they're having an exciting time right now with the Broadcom acquisition of VMware, right? It's, a, it's, it's fun days for these guys, right? So you're obviously not going to be able to use your mainstream backup product to back up the non-mainstream virtualization product. You're going to have to have something else for that product, right? Yeah. Um, and that and that is okay uh, if you have no other choice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's just life, right? You need to back up that data. It's important to you. You'll figure out a way. The perfect, the other example, Curtis, as we were chatting, I was just thinking about this. Most SaaS applications, right? Yeah. Most of those are the common vendors don't always support it. And so you might have one that requires a specific backup product to back it up. Exactly. Because we're going to back up our SaaS apps, right? No, SaaS doesn't need to be backed up. <laughs> don't make, don't make I'm me not hurt serious. you, Sana. Yeah. When I look at all of the different ways that we do backups, I think that the cyber requirements need to be, I think they need to be front and center, right? Because it doesn't matter how good the system is, if it disappears in a ransomware attack, it's no good. And I think that the ways that we can do backup today that offer restores that are so much quicker mm -hmm. that um, it may cause me to waffle a bit on this don't do it unless you have an absolute requirement bit and here and here's what i mean by that when you think about cyber recoveries when you think about recovering from a ransomware uh, attack well it might not be an absolute requirement for a normal restore to be of a certain speed <clears throat> right to recover the rto the the previous part, I, I guess I'm not I'm not changing my answer. I'm just saying I'm, I guess I'm saying I'm going back to the beginning and saying when you're determining your RTO and RPO, just think about the cyber aspects because when you have a cyber attack, you're going to spend your entire RTO and probably past your RTO just figuring out what needs to be restored. Yep. So then think about the likely recovery that you're going to need to do and think about the, how that potentially affects the RTO capabilities of a backup product or a DR product that you're buying. Because basically they're going to finally figure it out. It's taking them two weeks and they're going to be like, okay, Persona, just now just restore these 17 boxes, right? And they're not going to go, oh, well, okay, well, I guess I can start my 24-hour RTO now. No, <laughs> you have you got no minutes at this point. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying oh, is- run I'm, as quickly as you can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just saying that perhaps in the modern climate, the, the restore aspect- 
perhaps you should give a little bit more weight to products that can do restores really, 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 really quickly. This I get. This is what I'm saying. I'm I'm kind of waffling on the requirement, but I'm kind of not because you're not going to have the RTO set to two weeks, right? You're yeah. going to have the RTO set to something probably in hours. And when you get a cyber attack, it's going to, whatever, whatever you set it to, it's going to eat it up. And then you're just going to need, need to be able to restore as quickly as possible. Um, and so just think, just figure that into when you're talking to, of vendors when you're thinking yeah. about their backup products. Um, I like that. Yeah. It's all cagey and weird. And uh, it's just, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to get you to think about that. If you're thinking about changing your backup product, just think about how, think about what a likely cyber recovery will actually look like um, yeah. and how you'll, um, it reminds <laughs> I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure I've told it to you. I go back to one of the first major restores that I participated in. <clears throat> and I was at a bank and we had a, we had a knock, right? Network operations center. Mm-hmm. And when we were doing a large restore, there was someone who was at a console that was a remote console to the system we were storing. And they were sort of, they were the operations center, Right. And so they were yep. talking to people on phones and, you know, we had, we had, uh, um, i trying to remember. I don't, I don't think we had flip phones. I think we just had, we just had phones, right? Regular yep. hardwired phones and beepers. Right. Yep. <clears throat> and I remember that um, we had the guy in the data center. Uh, I only saw the other half of the story. I didn't, I didn't see this, the, the, the funny part. Because <laughs> you were out in the data center. Because I was yeah. the one in the data center doing the thing, right? So in the knock, there, there was the, the, you know, the guy sitting at the, um, at the you know, console. console. And standing behind him were two managers, his boss's boss and his boss's boss's boss standing, you know. And it just so happened that their first name, they're both first, both of their first names were Tom. And one of my cohorts was talking to this guy on the speaker, on speakerphone, not knowing he was on speakerphone. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> and so we were in the middle of this big recovery. And it's just what I thought about, you know, when you come time to do the restore, you've got, you've got the attention of the, you know, the powers that be, right? So he said, so, you know, so, yeah, where are you? Oh, I'm in, I'm in, you know, this data center. And, you know, where are you? Oh, I'm in the knock, you know, sitting here at the console. And he goes, let me guess. You got Tom and Tom over your left and right shoulder. <laughs> <clears throat> and apparently Tom and Tom just took like one step back. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, yes, when the feces hits the rotary oscillator, that's exactly what happened. You've got all that attention, a very unwarranted, yep. unwelcome. Uh, well, not or- unwarranted. It's warranted. Uh, unwelcome. Yeah. Uh, All eyes on you. Yeah. So uh, just my final thought, just make sure that the first time you're firing the backup system in anger is not the first time you're firing your backup system, right? Make sure that you've got a solid handle. Once they say go, 
and I know I've got 15 systems to restore, I know how long that's going to take so that you can, you know, and hopefully that the, you can reduce that time down as, as much as you can. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, this has been fun. <laughs> Anytime Always I can to reminiscent talk. over a, uh, a scary event from my past. It's a beautiful thing. Well, thanks Which for hanging out. Which you have quite out. a lot of, I must say. I do. I do that. I'm a storyteller. What can I say? Yeah. So thanks for hanging out, Persona. As always, thanks, Curtis. All right, and thanks to our listeners. We'd be nothing without you. That is a wrap. The Backup Wrap-Up is written, recorded, and produced by me, W. Curtis Preston. If you need backup or DR consulting, content generation, or expert witness work, check out BackupCentral.com. You can also find links from my O'Reilly books on the same website. Remember, this is an independent podcast, and any opinions that you hear are those of the speaker and not necessarily an employer. Thanks for listening.